Hello, I'm Monica Reinagle, and you're listening to the Nutrition Diva Podcast, a show where I try to keep you up to date with the latest nutrition science and down to earth in terms of your daily dietary strategies. I'm glad you're here today. We're talking about fatty liver disease, including some new developments on the nomenclature, as well as advice on what to do if you have it. But first, we have time for a quick listener Q&A. Ken writes, I've been listening to your podcast for decades, and I thank you for your unbiased information. I've heard that milk kefir has many more beneficial probiotics than yogurt made from the same whole milk. Has there been any research to confirm this claim? The main difference between these two fermented dairy products is that kefir is fermented with a combination of lactobacillus bacteria and yeasts, while yogurt contains only lactobacillus bacteria. As they grow and divide, these bacteria digest the lactose in the milk and they produce lactic acid. And that's what gives yogurt and kefir their characteristic tartness. Now in kefir, the fermenting yeast also produces carbon dioxide, which makes the kefir slightly effervescent or fizzy. And it also produces small amounts of alcohol as a byproduct. Now, most of the commercially produced kefir in the United States contains little to no alcohol so that it doesn't have to be labeled or sold as an alcoholic drink. Homemade kefir, on the other hand, can contain up to 2% alcohol. And just to give you a comparison, wine contains between 8 and 12% alcohol. Because it's made with both bacteria and yeast, kefir does have a greater variety of microorganisms. I don't believe, however, that there's enough research to declare that one is more beneficial to human health than the other. So I go with whichever one you prefer or enjoy both of them. And now let's turn to our main discussion. The most common chronic liver condition, which affects an estimated one-third of American adults, is getting a bit of a brand refresh. We used to refer to this condition as non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and that was primarily to distinguish it from a very similar condition that can be caused by alcohol abuse. But there is growing consensus around a move to change the name to metabolic-associated fatty liver disease. So instead of NAFLD, it will now be known as MAFLD. You know, this isn't the first time that common diseases have been renamed. What we now refer to as type 2 diabetes used to be known as adult onset diabetes, and that was to distinguish it from the autoimmune form of diabetes that's more typically diagnosed during childhood. The problem was that more and more kids who didn't have that autoimmune disease were, in fact, suffering from adult onset diabetes. And it just started to feel kind of silly to keep calling it that. Part of the rationale for changing the name from non-alcoholic to metabolic-associated fatty liver disease is that the new name is a more accurate description of the condition. Instead of defining it by what it isn't, it's now being characterized according to what it is. Fatty liver disease is most commonly caused by chronically high blood sugar and insulin resistance, and these are symptoms of metabolic disorders, such as type 2 diabetes, prediabetes, obesity, and metabolic syndrome. So the new name is definitely more accurate. 
and it also helps remove the stigma that's inherent in the old name. So I've noticed that people who are referring to lung cancer patients often stress the fact that the patient was a non-smoker. And the fact that people feel the need to point this out underscores the stigma that often attaches to lung cancer patients who did or do smoke. Almost as if to say that when smokers get lung cancer, it's their own damn fault and they don't deserve the same sympathy or treatment. All I have to say about that is glass houses, people. Glass houses. So in addition to avoiding unnecessary finger pointing, this new name for fatty liver disease can also help clinicians and patients better identify and cope with what is a very common issue. It's normal to have a certain amount of fat in your liver because processing dietary and blood fats is a big part of what the liver does. But when fat starts to build up in the liver, it can lead to inflammation, liver damage, and even eventually liver cancer. In its early stages, a fatty liver usually doesn't really cause any symptoms. It's most likely to be detected through a physical exam, during which your doctor might be able to feel that your liver is enlarged. And then blood tests, imaging, and or biopsies can confirm that diagnosis. As I mentioned, the vast majority of people suffering from fatty liver disease are not alcoholics. And I also want to point out that eating a high-fat diet does not necessarily lead to fatty liver disease. As I said, this form of liver disease is primarily caused by high blood sugar and insulin resistance. Fatty liver disease often goes hand-in-hand with other risk factors for heart disease as well, such as high triglycerides. And in fact, those with MAFLD are much more likely to die of heart disease than of liver disease. Okay, enough with the bad news. Here's the good news. Fatty liver disease can often be reversed, and the liver can be restored to full health through diet and lifestyle changes. And here's how. The number one thing you can do to reverse fatty liver is to lose weight if you need to. Losing even 5% of your body weight can be enough to start to roll back that damage, even if you are still significantly overweight at that point. Although continuing to lose weight may offer you further benefits, you are much better off losing a modest amount of weight, such as 5%, and then keeping it off long-term than you are losing a larger amount of weight and then regaining it. And it's also important to lose weight gradually because rapid weight loss can actually make MAFLD temporarily worse. Fortunately, slow weight loss, which is what I always recommend anyway, is a lot easier to achieve and it's easier to sustain. Another thing we can do to heal the liver is to get more exercise. One central feature of metabolic disease is insulin resistance, where the cells become less responsive to the effects of insulin. So when your cells stop responding to insulin, that's when you end up with chronically high blood sugar. And exercise is perhaps the most effective non-pharmaceutical way to improve insulin sensitivity. As I talked about in my episode on prediabetes with registered dietitian Jill Weisenberger, 
strength training is particularly useful in this regard. And she also recommends taking a brisk walk after meals to lower post-meal blood sugar levels. And for more, please do go check out that episode. In some cases, your doctor may also suggest a prescription drug that helps improve insulin sensitivity. This can be useful, doesn't necessarily have to be a long-term solution. Now, it's not necessary to go on a low-fat diet, but you do want to emphasize foods that are rich in monounsaturated fats, such as olive oil and avocado, as well as omega-3 fats, which are found in fish and flaxseed. Saturated fats, which are primarily found in meat, dairy, and butter, and omega-6 fats from vegetable oils should ideally be more in the background. Oxidative stress is another feature that's common to type 2 diabetes, fatty liver disease, and heart disease. But research on the use of antioxidant supplements in these conditions has shown disappointing results. A better strategy is to increase your intake of antioxidants from foods, such as non-starchy vegetables, mushrooms, great source of antioxidants, fruits, herbs, spices, and tea and coffee. Coffee is actually the number one food source of antioxidants in the American diet. The Mediterranean diet pattern tends to promote a healthy balance of fats, a low intake of sugar, and lots of antioxidant-rich foods. And so not surprisingly, it has been shown to be helpful for those with MAFLD. Metabolic-associated fatty liver disease can be an intimidating diagnosis to receive. And it can also be an important warning sign of bigger troubles ahead. Fortunately, it's also one of those things that you can turn around by making a commitment to healthier diet and lifestyle. The liver has an almost miraculous ability to heal itself if we simply give it a bit of a break. And for more information and resources on fatty liver disease, you can visit the American Liver Foundation at liverfoundation.org. And if you are looking for resources to support slow, sustainable weight loss, please check out the tools that I have at wayless.life. This is Monica Reinagel. The Nutrition Diva is a quick and dirty tips podcast, and I'm very grateful to my team, including Adam Cecil, Morgan Christensen, Davina Tomlin, and Holly Hutchinson. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.